0: as alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another episode of the Talking Sirah podcast. Uh, it's been a while since our last podcast. It's been uh, a few months now. I think the last one we had was prior to Ramadan. So first, I'd like to apologize for the long delay since our last episode. Um, there's been quite a few things going on. But inshallah, I think, uh, you know, we'll try to get a bit more consistent and frequent with these podcasts uh, going forward and and publish episodes more more frequently. Um, if this is the first uh, episode you're listening to, um, I would encourage you guys to uh, go back and listen to the previous 14 episodes. Uh, this is episode 15. Um, and today we want to speak about um, how Yathrib, uh, which was the former name uh, of Medina, that we call today Medina, uh, how Yathrib became the grounds for the first Islamic state in the history of Islam and how the tribe of al Aus and Al-Khazraj um, supported Islam and the Messenger, sallallahu Alaihi However, I think uh, obviously with the, the, the delay we've had since the last episode, it would be worth doing a quick recap of our last episode. Um, we spoke about how the situation of the Messenger, sallallahu Alaihi in Mecca had become very dire, very desperate. Um, the Muslims had found themselves very isolated especially since uh, the death of Abu Talib, the death of Khadijah, and how the Messenger him, really lost that support where he didn't have that protection for the dawah. So Allah subhanahu wa Taala gave him permission to approach the tribes uh, during the Hajj season and seek protection of the dawah. And one of the things we demonstrated in this last episode is that the support that the Messenger him, was seeking was in order to protect the Dawah. It wasn't uh, for any other reason. It was to protect the Dawah so that he he could complete his mission. He could complete the transformation of the society. Um, and it wasn't about um, him obtaining power or leadership. It was merely so that the Dawah could be p- protected and he could fulfill his mission and complete uh, the stages required uh, to transform society. So he approached various tribes uh, and many of these tribes rejected him um, and a few tribes um, somewhat kind of accepted his call. However, they uh, they placed conditions um, on the acceptance. So it wasn't really an acceptance. It was it was one which had a set of conditions. So, um, for example, uh, you had Banu Kindah and Banu Amr ibn Al Sasa who who basically told the messenger sallallahu alaihi that if they had accepted him if they accept him uh, would uh, you know would he give power to them after his success if he became successful in the Dawah, would he would he give them power after his death obviously this was a um, a very insinc- insincere condition because uh, they were concerned with power and authority and the messenger وسلم, just responded back saying that uh he could not promise such a thing and this you know power and authority this issue rests with allah subhanahu wa taala so he rejected their offer um, and then you had the tribe of banu shayban who basically um accepted however they 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 could only provide protection from one side from the side of the arabs they couldn't provide protection from the side of the persians um and the messenger sallallahu also rejected this because this was a compromise, this was uh, not what was required, you know, if, if Islam was to be protected it should be protected from all sides. So the Messenger really was rejected by and large by all the, all the tribes and, and those who had some inclination of acceptance uh, placed certain conditions that the Messenger could not accept. Um, so. You know, this was a rejection for the Messenger وسلم, and He, he had to return back to Mecca, um, unsuccessful in his quest for protection of the dawah. So the, the Messenger وسلم, and the Sahaba, they, you know, they remained steadfast. They continued to be patient in the dawah uh, because they had reliance on Allah. They knew that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala would support them. Even though the situation in Mecca reached a standstill and the Muslims were, you know, isolated, uh, they continued to give dawah wherever possible. They they, they continued to approach the tribes, uh, approach the people, and and they knew that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala would not abandon them. And soon enough, uh, the support of Allah came from a small group of around six men from the tribe of Al Khazraj and um, from the city of Yathrib. And uh, the lesson really here for us to take is that um, as long as we are steadfast in our da'wah, as long as we continue with the actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires from us, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will eventually help us. So the messenger sallallahu he you know, he continued to approach the tribes. He continued to invite uh, people to Islam despite having continuous rejection uh, from various tribes and various people. And, you know, many of us may get very despondent, uh, fall into despair and feel like there's no change really happening and, you know, start to kind of give up. But the Messenger وسلم, and, and his companions, they didn't. They continued to remain steadfast. And only because of this kind of perseverance did the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala come from a place least expected. Uh, the tribe of Al-Khazraj, was, it wasn't a planned meeting, it was just... Uh, another example of the Messenger وسلم, approaching tribes and, and asking them to embrace Islam and accept Islam. So, the Messenger وسلم, he visited the camp of Al Khazraj in, in the Hajj season uh, at a place called Aqaba, Al Aqaba. Um, and he asked them, uh, Who are you? And they said, We are from Al Khazraj. And the Messenger وسلم, asked them, Are you allies with the Jews? Because he knew that this uh, people they they lived close to the Jews, uh, the people of yathrib and they said yes uh, so rasulullah sallallahu then said can i speak to, can i speak to you about something and they agreed and they sat down on the messenger sallallahu alaihi he as he did with all the tribes he invited them to islam and the thing to note here is that this meeting will with, with al qazraj uh, was very different to the meetings with the previous tribes, like the tribes of Al-Kinda, Al-Kinda Banu Shayban, and these tribes, because uh, as we said in the previous episode, that the meeting with these tribes were, was planned, and it was for seeking of the protection of the Dawah. Abu Bakr had identified the various tribes that had the strength to protect Islam, and the the, the purpose of these meetings were, was was primarily to achieve protection of the dawah whereas this meeting with al khazraj was different because it was just a, a generic meeting that the messenger of sallallahu alaihi had um, and he was just inviting them to islam he wasn't requesting them to protect the, uh, the dawah he wasn't requesting and and we'll see from the events that happen that even though you know it was a positive response uh, there was no protection of the dawah required from them in the first instance so when the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam invited them to islam they they looked at each other. They they kind of glanced over to each other, the six uh, men, and they said, "By Allah, this is the very prophet of whom the Jews warned us about. The Jews had spoken about in the to the people uh, of of Al khazraj and uh, Al Aws of the people of Medina, basically uh, the Arabs. Um, they told them about a prophet that they you know was going to come uh, based on their scriptures." Um, and because of this uh, al khazraj were aware that you know is this the same prophet that the jews spoke about and told us about and so they accepted uh, what the messenger sallam, and they embraced islam alhamdulillah so subhanallah it was it was a it was quite a quick acceptance and and it wasn't a rejection they they embraced islam six of these men and they said to the messenger sallallahu uh, we have left our people al khazraj they've left because there's only six six of them um, and they said that there are no tribes that are so divided uh, by hatred and rancor as they are. Um, and they said perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will unite them through the messenger sallallahu And if so, then there will be no man mightier than you, O messenger. So they were telling the messenger sallallahu that, you know, the Jews warned us about you. Um, and you know, and that's that was one of the reasons they accepted the Messenger sallam, because they were aware of him, and secondly, that the you know the Al they were in a bitter war, they were had various disputes, various wars, and they needed some sort of unity. So they saw in the Messenger sallam, a figure, a, a leadership that a leader that could uh, unite them. Uh, and the, you know this was attractive to them because they were fed up of the war that they were having between the two tribes So the six men from Al-Khazrah, they accepted Islam and they pledged to go back to the people uh, And spread Islam uh, amongst their close family and friends um, And they then, then planned to meet the Messenger again the following year in the same time during Hajj So this question arises really, why did and Al-Khazraj accept the message? Why were they so willing in comparison and in, in contrast to uh, the previous uh, tribes such as Quraysh, such as the, the tribes that the Messenger وسلم, وسلم, had approached for protection? Why, why were Al-Khazraj so kind of eager to accept the Messenger of and, and did so quite easily? Um, and there are you know, various reasons but there are a few that we can kind of highlight um, And the first thing is that they were fed up of the constant warfare As we spoke about uh, Al-Aus and Al-Khazras, there were two tribes And they um, lived in Yathrib And they were in constant warfare Continuous warfare over petty things But they were just fighting uh, Many of them dying And you know it was a continuous generational war that they were having between each other and essentially the people had become tired of this, of this constant warfare between the tribes. And so they were yearning for some sort of unity, some sort of peace. So when they heard the message of Islam, they thought maybe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would unite them through the messenger sallallahu alaihi And that's why they were more open to uh, accepting the message of Islam. The second reason is that, they were familiar with the concept of uh, one God and monotheism. Um, It was natural, as in they lived amongst the Jews. And they were, you know, they had, uh, the Jews were the neighbours, but they, they interacted with the Jews quite a bit. So when it came to the message of monotheism, the Jews had already told them about this. And with the Arabs, they viewed the Jews as kind of superior to them because they were more learned, they had scriptures, they could read. And that's why when the jews would say things and even the christians as well uh, the the pagan arabs would probably give them a bit more respect from a, from the from the perspective of that they were more learned than them they had read scriptures so they were actually familiar with the concept of tawhid and the oneness of allah so when the messenger of allah gave this, mes- this message this shahada it wasn't an alien message to them they had heard this message and that's why they perhaps were more willing to accept islam than the previous tribes and the tribes of quraysh and the tribe of banu thaqif and and the various other tribes that had rejected islam and then the final thing really is that um oh, actually there's a couple more reasons but one of the one of the reasons that is that the state the jews had told them stuff in their conversations and their arguments actually with the jews the jews would make statements um and they would say that uh, you know when they were arguing with ausan khazraj they would say that uh, you know, the, the time has come for a prophet to appear and when he comes out uh, the jews they said we will follow him and we will kill people like you so the ausan khazraj they were aware that uh, uh, you know the jews were speaking about this time has come for a prophet to appear and that's why in their statement when they accepted islam they said that uh, you know this is the person the jews has jews have warned us about so let's rush to accept him before the jews because they wanted to kind of uh kind of hit back at the jews perhaps um to say look we are accepting the messenger the messenger messenger muhammad sallallahu before you and, and you know they did and the jews ironically rejected the messenger even though they knew about his arrival and they they saw that their scriptures had predicted this arrival of the messenger they they still out of the pride that he came among the Arabs, they rejected the Messenger Alaihi So, so this is another reason why uh, they accepted the Messenger وسلم, and they accepted Islam. That the Jews had already given them some sort of forewarning, and the irony here is that you know the Jews, un- unwillingly, unknowingly, assisted uh, the Muslims. They assisted the people of Yathrib, um, and this you know this is sometimes happens where. It is the plan of Allah As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَيَمْكِرُونَ وَيَمْكِرُ اللَّهُ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ That uh, they plan and Allah plans And Allah is the best of planners That, you know, the Jews They didn't know that they were inadvertently um, You know, giving advice to the people of Yathrib And due to this, the people of Yathrib accepted Islam Because, you know, the Jews were um, You know, had the, the intention to kind of mock the Arabs and mock the Awsan Khazraj but in fact they they helped the Arabs kind of can be convinced of of the message of Islam. Um, and then the final thing really uh to highlight why Awsan Khazraj and, and particularly the Khazraj in this scenario of the six people accept, accept, accepting Islam um, is that uh the the uh you know they were in war with each other like we mentioned but actually um Before um, the Hijrah, there was a battle called the Battle of Bu'ath. And this occurred between Al-Aus and Khazraj. And it was a very violent battle. Many of their leadership had passed away and died in this battle. So both of these tribes um, who um, had leaders who kind of represented the old God and the old way of thinking, these people had died in this battle. So they were looking for a leadership. And the new leadership amongst Awas and Khazras, they were actually a, a younger generation and more open-minded uh, rather than kind of the older generation who were stuck in their ways. Um, as we've seen, with, you know, we can make comparisons with the, with the Quraysh. They had um, people like uh, Abu Jahal and uh, Walid bin Mughira and Abu Lahab and these people who were very adamant in their ways and even though they knew knew the truth of islam they they were rejecting islam because of their pride um and this is uh, another lesson that we can take from this incident that you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he tells us and warns us about the al-mala the people of leadership the chiefs who were the most ardent in rejecting the message of islam and met the message of truth as we had with previous um Prophets and previous Anbiya, and that's because they have the most to lose from accepting Islam. They, you know, they gain from the status quo. They are the ones that are making the most from the status quo. So, if now uh, you know someone has come to destroy the status quo and destroy their their status and wealth, um, then obviously they have the most to lose, and that's why they put up the most resistance. And uh, we will speak about it later, about how when Al-Mala and the leadership accept Islam and accept the truth, actually it has a greater impact for the Dawah. It has a greater positive impact in the same way that when they reject it, it has a great negative impact. Um, So the Quraysh and the other tribes uh, who had rejected Islam they had this type of older leadership who were set in their ways and the Al-Malah who basically uh, didn't want to lose the status quo they didn't want to lose what they had so they you know they rejected the truth despite knowing it was the truth whereas the leadership in Yathrib they firstly the old god had been killed in this battle of Boath and also the new younger generation they were more open-minded and they were less established so uh, we'll find out in some examples that we'll speak about how they were more open to hearing about what the Messenger of Allah had to say, and for these four reasons, really, the Ausan al khazraj they were more inclined to Islam and more open-minded to accept Islam compared to the Quraysh, compared to Banu Thaqif, and compared to all those tribes who had rejected uh, the Messenger of Allah in the Hajj season. Uh, And this was a, you know, a support from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from from the least expected place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them the Muslim support from the the tribe of Al-Khazraj initially and then Al-Aus as we will see. Uh, And they attained the name of Al-Ansar, the supporters, the helpers, because they helped and supported the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we will see. So... This first um, occurrence of the sixth Al Khazraj from the Al Khazraj uh, th- that, that uh, met the Messenger spoke to him and, and, and accepted Islam it occurred in Al Aqaba, it, but it wasn't the pledge, there was no pledge that took place. Um, all they did is they returned to their people and they committed to kind of speaking to their families and close friends uh, and spreading Islam. And they did do this, they, they they stuck to their promise and they went and they invited people to Islam, the new deen that they had discovered and heard about from the Messenger. They invited people, and you know, they were quite successful in this. Many of the people started to accept Islam. And a year passed by, uh, and the Hajj season came upon them, and they obviously came back to Hajj instead with with 12 people. So they were initially six in the first meeting but this meeting now, there were 12 of them. And the, the six original people that came for the first meeting, they were there, and then six more. And uh, this following year, actually, uh, it wasn't just the tribe of Al-Khazraj. Um, of the 12 people, there were 10 from Al-Khazraj and two from Al-Aus. And this really indicates two points, that firstly, the Dawah efforts uh, of the six men was were, were firstly kind of, concentrated uh, amongst the khazraj which which is natural because you know that's who who their friends and ties will be with so the the predominant ones 10 of the 12 were from al khazraj but the other thing that it really highlights and indicates is that you know two of them that came to this meeting were from al aus so that must have meant that uh, there were was some sort of breakthrough in the Khazraj, convincing people from Al Aus to embrace Islam, and this is significant because obviously we know that these two tribes were at war with each other. They were at battle. There was obviously animosity between these two tribes, and uh, you know this this wasn't it was still raw within them. So this was a a, a significant breakthrough, uh, and the first sign of some you know new find found unity amongst Al Aus and Khazraj, who were obviously at war with each other previously. So this was this was um, you know quite significant uh, to to know that they, they had success in kind of breaking through to, Al Aus. So they met again in the place of Al aqaba but as I said, this time they made a pledge of allegiance, uh, which is referred to as Bayatul Al Akaba, Bayatul Al Ula, the first pledge of Al Akaba, um, and it's also known as Bayatun uh, Nisa, the pledge of the women. Because this pledge, this first pledge of Akbar, they, um it didn't include fighting. It included uh, certain kind of commitments, but nothing to do with fighting. So, you know, the, the, what it included was for the, these people, to, uh, the, the, the new Muslims of Medina, of Yathrib, to, to not associate any God with Allah. So this was obviously the shahada. Uh, to not cheat or fornicate, uh, to not kill their children to not make any false accusations or slander, uh, and to not disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or, and the Messenger sallam actually in anything good. To, so basically to obey the Messenger Wasallam when he advised them to do things. So it wasn't much, but actually it was the fundamentals um, of the deen, so that they could go away and establish some sort of foundation amongst them, that, that early community in Yathrib and also when they're spreading it to other other um, people of Yathrib This was the condition, this was the pledge that they made to the messenger So the messenger responded and told them that If you keep to these conditions, you shall have paradise And if you give up on any of this and, and you are punished for it in this world Then this would be the atonement for it But if it's been of, overlooked and you're not punished Uh, Until the day of judgment Then it will be up to Allah To decide whether to punish you or to forgive you So this was the pledge of Al-Aqaba Al-Ula The first pledge of Al-Aqaba And um, straight after the Messenger Sent Mus'ab ibn Umair To teach these new Muslims of Yathrib Their deen And to teach them the Quran And also to support them In giving da'wah to others because it was essential for this new group of Muslims that they were grounded in the fundamental Islamic aqeedah. Um as the Muslims of Mecca had previous. Um, you know, obviously they they were getting tarbiyah from the Messenger directly. So Muhammad sent Musab, who was known for his kind of understanding of the Quran and the message of Islam. Um, he was chosen to go to the, to Yathrib and teach the people. Islam and, and teach them the Qur'an and help them with the da'wah. So Mus'ab, he lodged with um, someone called Asad ibn Zurara, عنه, and uh, he straight away began visiting people in the camps and households and reciting the Qur'an and calling people to Islam. He didn't kind of wait. He he, he straight away uh, wanted to start giving da'wah. And soon enough, people started to embrace Islam. Uh, until almost every household of the Ansar, of the Ausan al-Khazraj, had Muslims within it. And Musab really, uh, in his efforts, he epitomised the mentality of a da'i. And we can learn so much from him, from his activities in Yathrib. We can learn so much and apply it to our lives today. You know, he was very deliberate and consistent with his efforts of da'wah. And he used immense hikmah. Uh, in targeting the right people to maximise the impact of the da'wah. Um, he was basically a real-life translation, and example of the ayah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Invite to the way of your Lord with hikmah and fair preaching and argue with them in the way that is better. And the story of how Usaid ibn Khudair and Sa'd ibn Mu'ad embraced Islam really brings this characteristic and the characteristic and mentality of Musab ibn Umar to life. Um, so the story as it goes, many of you will know this, but um, just to paraphrase, um, one day Asad ibn Zurara went with Musab ibn Umar to uh, an area, uh, like the quarter of the people of Al-Ashal, Banu Al-Ashal and Banu Zafar. And they, you know, they went there in that quarter to speak to the new Muslims and to give da'wah. And whilst they were doing this, uh, Saad ibn Muadh and Useid ibn Hudayr, they were the two leaders of their clan, the, the Banu Abdul Ashal. Uh, they were the two leaders. They uh, heard about. You know, they weren't Muslim at the time. They were. They were still following the paganism of of the Arabs. When they heard about Musab doing what he was doing, uh, Saad he said to Usayd he said, "You know, go to them. Go to Musab. Go to the people there." Who have entered our quarters and they are making fool of our people, fools of our people, and drive them out, forbid them from entering our quarters. And he said to Musaid, um, he said, um, if it were not that Asad ibn Zurara is related to me because he was his cousin, basically, um, he said he would he would have saved him the trouble. Um, but because I can't do anything to him, you go, you go and tell them to leave this location and 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 to not cause trouble. So Usaid he took up his lance and he went to them, and basically when Asad ibn Zurara saw him coming, he told Musab. He said, "This is the chief of his tribe, who is coming to you. So be true to Allah with him." And Musab said, "You know, if he will sit down, we can talk. We can talk to him." So Usaid he came over. He stood over them and he was furious. He was angry. He he said to them, "You know, leave us, uh, if you value your lives. Basically, if you don't go, we're going to kill you." And Musab said, "Look, won't you sit down and listen to us? Just, just listen to what we need to say. And if you like what you hear, accept it. And if you don't like it, then you know, leave it alone, and we'll leave." And also, he thought this is a fair, fair kind of uh, you know offer, and he agreed. And he put his lance in the ground and he sat down and he listened. And then Musab he went on to explain Islam to him and he read the the words of Allah in the Quran. And he even said, they said afterwards, they said, you know, by Allah, they could see as they were saying the Quran and the words of Allah, they they could see and they recognized that Usaid's face had changed. And basically, he had recognized the truth. So, Usaid, he after he heard this, he said, What a wonderful and beautiful discourse this is. What does one need to do to enter into this deen? Basically, he wanted to accept Islam. And they told him that, you know, you need to make wudu, purify yourself, purify your garments and bear witness to the truth. Make Shahada and pray the true raka. So he immediately did this and he then said, there is a man behind me who if he follows you, every one of his people will follow suit and I will send him at once. This man is Saad ibn Muad, the person he was sitting with previously. So he took up his lance and he went off to Saad and he And when Saad saw him coming, he recognized that his face had changed a little bit. So he came up to Saad and and, and Saad asked him, what happened? Um, And he said, you know, I've spoken to the two men. There's no harm. I forbade them to do what they needed to do. And and they basically kind of accepted what I had to say. But he just didn't really answer the question. And then he said that, um, you know, I've heard that Banu Haritha, another tribe, had gone out against Asad ibn Zirrara to kill him. Because they knew that he was the son of your aunt, meaning it's your cousin, uh, and they want to make it appear that you're a treacherous guest. So he told a bit of a white lie to for Sa'ad to get angry and to go and approach um, Musab ibn Umer and Asad ibn Zurara. So Sa'ad obviously got angered and enraged, and he got up at once and he he went over uh, to um, you know to the to Musab. And he went over to them, and he saw them sitting comfortably, uh, and so he recognized that Usaid must have just wanted to, him to come and see them and, and speak to them. So then he stood over and he said to Asad ibn zurari he said, "Abu Umama, you know, were it not be, for our relationship between us, meaning for, if we were not cousins, uh, you know, you wouldn't have treated me like this. Uh, would you behave in your homeland in a way we detest?" Basically, he's saying that look, you're taking advantage of our relationship. So um Asad already when, when Sa'd ibn Mu'adh was coming, Asad to- told Musaab that uh, by Allah this is the leader who if is, who um is followed by his people. If he follows you no two of them will remain behind, meaning his whole tribe will become Muslim if Saad becomes Muslim. So Musab said to Saad, you know, don't be angry, sit down, listen, and if you like what you hear, accept it and if you don't like it, leave it, you know, leave it and we will leave as well. Again, same thing happened. He sat down. Uh, he listened to the Quran, and he the exact same thing happened. He recognized the truth, and it could be seen in his face. And he again said, "What a wonderful discourse! What a wonderful, beautiful discourse this is! What does one need to do to enter Islam?" And they told him that he needs to make wudu, purify himself, purify what he's what he's wearing, and bear witness to the truth. Take the shahada, and you know, pray the turaka And he did so immediately. Then he basically took his lance, went back to his people. He went back to his own people with Usaidi ibn Hudayr. And they even saw him coming and recognised that something was a bit different. So he stopped by them and he said, O oh, Banu Abdul Ashal, how do you rate my authority among you? And they replied, You are our chief, the most active of our interests, the best in judgment and the and the most fortu- fortunate in leadership. And he said to them, I will not speak to a man or a woman among you until you believe in Allah and his messenger Muhammad. And as a result of this, every man and woman among the Banu Abdul Ashal embraced Islam. So this, subhanAllah, really highlights that, you know, the uh, the effectiveness of Musab but also the effectiveness of targeting the leaders, targeting the chiefs, as we spoke about the al mala and here is a positive outcome that when al-mala uh, accept what the truth is then actually their people can accept and the, the barriers are less whereas when they don't they cause more barriers and you know stop the people from embracing islam and, the, and embracing the truth so musab he then returned to the house of asad ibn Zurara, stayed as a guest he continued to call people to islam and like I said, you know, most of the people of Medina, of, of the Ansar, the Awas the, uh, al-Khazraj, they began to embrace Islam. And uh, Musab ibn umar he remained in Medina for one year, amongst the Awas al-Khazraj, teaching them their deen, and he saw the numbers of the people embracing Islam growing day by day. So the actions of Musab really show how he was assiduous and diligent. Very, you know, he was clever in what he would do, he was intelligent and he was consistent. He continually, tirelessly, assiduously basically uh, gave da'wah to Islam. And he is an example of what we should be as da'is in our da'wah, as da'wah carriers. You know, even though the Messenger was not physically with him, he wasn't physically with him, he followed the guidance of the Messenger. And he was able to, to succeed, you know, in in a matter of a year, he was able to succeed in transforming the society of Yathrib from kufr, from corruption and shirk, to the purity of Islam. So this is, should be an encouragement for us, that even though we don't have the Messenger amongst us here physically, we have his guidance, we have his sunnah, we have the guidance of Islam, the Quran and the sunnah, and if we follow the method of the Messenger وسلم, you know, to to the T, correctly and understand what it is, then inshallah we should have the similar success that uh, Musab had. And, you know, the other thing that we saw Musab would do, he would he would find opportunities to contact people. Even if it meant kind of knocking on doors, He speaking to farmers, he would go to the farm, you know, farmland, speak to farmers... He would go to the busy places where people would uh, you know, congregate. He would go to all these places to maximize the impact of his dawah. And this is, again, something similar that we should have. We should think about what is that best style, that best means of kind of getting that message out there. How do we have the greatest impact on the dawah, positive impact on the dawah? How do we be intelligent? How do we use some of the tools that we have at our disposal? Whether it be podcasts like we're doing here, whether it be social media, whether it be physical kind of attending you know, mosques or places where we know Muslims are going to be, how do we maximise the impact of the da'wah as uh, Musab ibn Umair demonstrated in in these examples? And he also you know, confronted the leaders. He, confro- he confronted the influentials. He called them to the Deen of Islam, and that's because he acknowledged that, uh, you know, if the leaders are transformed, if the leaders change, then it makes it much easier for the people to transform and embrace Islam. Um, and like I said, we can make a clear clear comparison with Quraysh. You know, they they were unwilling to accept the truth, and because they didn't accept the truth, they would put barriers up for the Dawa. They would place Make it difficult for the Muslims, isolate the Muslims so that they couldn't give dawah to their own people. They would tell people not to listen to the Allah, uh, you know, based on lies. Tell people lies, whether it be their own people or people who would visit Mecca. So likewise, today we should recognize that, you know, targeting the people of influence, targeting those who the people listen to, the scholars, the academics, the, the, you know, the, the people who have influence in society. You know this by, by targeting people like this that will have the greatest impact on the dawah. Not, not to say we don't target everyone, you know, everyone we should be targeting and speaking to about Islam and, and the mission of the Messenger, but we should also recognize that you know there are certain people, influentials, that if we target, they will have the greatest impact because they are the ones that people listen to, they are the ones that carry that uh, influence. Um, and then you know, and finally, as we spoke about the Musab ibn Umair, he was, uh, you know, he he was intelligent. He performed some deliberate tactics to, uh, you know, to kind of um, have the the most success in the dawa, so and to gain access to the to the right people. So what he did with Asad ibn Zurara in terms of accessing uh, Sa'd ibn mu'adh and usayd ibn Hudayr was an example of this. So through these steps. Uh you know, Musaab, like I said, in one single year was able to transform the thoughts in Yathrib from a corrupted idolatry and paganism, uh, and incorrect emotions and thoughts to Tawhid, to to Iman and the Islamic emotions uh were you know were created among amongst the people. He had radically transformed that society and that people. So, in conclusion, really. Um, you know, we spoke about that despite the dire situation in Mecca uh, and the stalemate of the da'wah that the Messenger and his group had kind of come across, they remained steadfast. They continued to invite the people to Islam. And, you know, it was this through this consistent effort that Allah gave them a source of victory from a tribe who they, you know, they weren't a significant tribe. Six people from Al-Khazraz, they, they didn't really carry much weight in if just from the kind of face of it. However, it was through this tribe that the success came, the victory came. And that's why today, you know, we need to be assiduous. We need to be consistent in our efforts and we never know where that support will come from. But it will only come through action. Just sitting around and becoming despondent and not doing it is not the answer. We need to be persevere. We need to... Be steadfast and have sabr in our efforts, and you know, the efforts of Mus'ab ibn anhu should inspire us, it should be an inspiration for all of us. You know, he was a single companion who acted on the guidance of the Messenger, وسلم, and he was able to transform an entire society from kufr to shirk. I mean, this, if this isn't an inspiration, if this is an encouragement for us, then I'm not sure what is. This This really highlights that it is achievable. It does, we don't need to be prophets. We don't need the prophet among us. We can achieve it as long as we follow the same path that, the, that Musab ibn Umair took in terms of following the Messenger, his guidance and his method. And the thing I really want to end on is that, you know, recently there's been some conversations in various podcasts and talks about whether the Islamic State can once again rise in our reality. Or, you know, the reality of nation states and the dominance of the U.S., you know, some people even describing the resumption of Islam, the resumption of a Islamic caliphate as a pipe dream that can't be achieved today. And, you know, the first rebuttal to this from my perspective is that, you know, such a position uh, is that, you know, re- resuming the entirety of Islam um, and including its systems and the laws of Allah is an obligation. So to call it a pipe dream or something that's impossible is not befitting for a Muslim because it's an obligation that we need to resume Islam. It's an obligation that we need to implement the entirety of Islam as a comprehensive system, as a comprehensive state and all the laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed and obliged us to fulfill. It's an obligation. So this is probably sufficient to tell us why we can't have this mentality of thinking that resumption of islam and the islamic authority is a pipe dream how else do we achieve uh, the obligation of resuming islam how else do we achieve the obligation of implementing the laws of allah and the sharia of allah it's only through the establishment of an islamic authority establishment of the islamic state and secondly you know those who think that it's not possible to resume islam you know they're restricting their thinking their minds uh, to the current framework and the current reality today. So when they think about the nation states, the fact that uh, you know um, you know the Treaty of Westphalia where you know countries can't kind of take over and, and and the national borders can't be erased, you know they're thinking that this can't change because you know this is the reality we live in today but this is a very colonial mentality. We're, 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 pr- we're prisoned in this thinking of the current framework, the current status quo, cannot change. The Sirah itself shows us that there was a radical and fundamental transformation of society in which all the previous systems were destroyed and they were replaced by the Islamic system. The Aus and Khazraj were hugely tribalistic. Most of their wars were due to the tribal affiliation that they had. But they, this didn't stop the Muslims from destroying this false framework of nationalism and tribalism and replacing it with the bond of Islam. So if it was achieved then by the Messenger why cannot it not be achieved today? Of you know, The nation states, is the same principle, the same concept. It can be achieved today. It's just that we need to take ourselves out of that restricted mentality, that colonial mentality, thinking that we can't question the, the status quo. And thirdly, another key reason why we should be positive and not be pessimistic, we should be optimistic, is that we have Allah on our side. Anything is achievable when we have Allah with us. You know, no matter how dire or despair the situation becomes, like the situation of the Messenger that we spoke about, the support of Allah will arrive as long as we carry out the correct actions. Um, and, and finally, the, the Messenger Sallam, you know, he he provides us with this clear method on how to transform society. So he gives us this, he's shown us the, the the steps we need to take. In detail, we know this through the seerah, through the sunnah. And some, you know, another thing that I've seen, that some portray it as though there's only three ways that, uh, uh, three methods, you could call it. Of establishing the Islamic state that are predominant today, you know one is implementing Islam through a militia or through through fighting, like we had with the case of you know isis al qaeda and other various other militant groups who basically they just declared a state and forcibly in- implemented Islam on the people and what they say is that you know this is shown to fail because you know these groups have been defeated, fair enough. The second thing they say is that the second approach method is the pragmatic method of groups working within the system and then then hoping that the people bring to power an Islamic group that will eventually, you know, through pragmatic means, implement Islam. And, you know, again, they will say this has failed as well because what you had with the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt and Morsi, who, who got to power, but because of the framework there and the US dominance that these groups were sidelined and, and removed because you know they didn't fall in line with the American agenda. So this is another example they give to say even this method fails because actually, you know, you can't change it from within. And, you know, where where certain groups have attained power, the Islamist Islamists you can call it, you know, for example, an Nahda in Tunisia, you know, the the example with them is that they changed themselves, they, you know. Now they don't seek to implement Islam. They have become fully secular and they accept the secular framework. So again, they, they claim that this second option of implementing Islam has also failed because either either they were quashed or they changed themselves in the system. And then the final one that I've heard, again, you know, they they say that the final predominant means of establishing Islam is to undertake a military coup and the saying here the kind of the the thinking here is that a muslim nation you know where you know the you know a power is given to a to another party or another uh leadership through a military coup um and you know this would be the way to establish islam and and some you know they will say that some have tried this method in terms of doing a coup against the leadership but um you know they've been quashed the, many of those who have been involved have been imprisoned so again this method appears to be unattainable an, an unattainable approach to establishing islam so these three things are given as options to say you know these are the predominant means of establishing islam and they've all failed or they're all bound to fail and the thing is that uh, you know, they conclude that then that means the state can never arise because all these three methods that are uh, in in place today and the ones that are sought today have never occurred, they've failed. So that means the Islamic State will never arise. That, that's the argument that's made. But the thing we need to recognize is that all three of these options do not align with the method of the Messenger وسلم, and the actions of the Messenger Wasallam. And neither do they align with, with, align with the actions we spoke about today in terms of uh, Mus'ab, who was working on, on the guidance of the Messenger وسلم, in Yathrib. You know, he transformed the thoughts and emotions of the society, and he created a public uh, opinion for Islam until the people themselves wanted to live by Islam and under a leader who would implement the Islamic system through the Messenger. So, can we, you know, Hopefully I'm making it clear that this is not the same as the three methods that apparently are the three methods that um, of establishing an Islamic State that are exist- in existence today. You know, it, this wasn't forced. Um, Musa ibn Umair didn't force the people, he transformed the people. So actually it doesn't align with option one. Uh, there was no kind of working through the existing system. They didn't work through the existing system of Yathrib to you know give leadership to someone they they destroyed the falsehood they destroyed the existing system and they replaced it with islam as we will speak about so again this you know option 2 doesn't really align with what really occurred and finally the third one the military coup also a military coup never occurred because the people were transformed first and then the leadership was given uh, as we'll find out in a future episode the, the leadership was given to the Messenger to implement Islam upon them because they wanted it, they were transformed. It wasn't a military coup as some have described it. Um, so, you know, rec- we need to recognize that um, we should have a positive attitude towards the implementation of Islam, but also we need to follow the Islamic methodology. Islam being a comprehensive system and state is an obligation but also we need to understand the method in achieving it the method of the Messenger and if we follow that Insha'Allah correctly we will have similar results as Musa ibn Umair had in Medina in Yathrib and the Muslims had overall uh, which we'll find out in the in the next episode uh, when it came to the second pledge of al I pray that you've benefited from the episode uh, inshallah please share uh, this with uh, with your friends and family and uh, you know we're available on youtube spotify and all the, all the various podcast platforms uh, apple podcasts and google podcasts inshallah please uh, listen uh, and share with others